Welcome to Highlawn Baptist Church in St. Albans, West Virginia, where our mission is to know Christ and to make Christ known. For more information, visit us online at highlawnbaptistchurch.org. We're so glad you've decided to join us, and now we invite you to grab your Bible, if you're able, as we pray that you will be blessed by the preaching of the truth of God's Word today. If you would go ahead and take out your copy of God's Word with me and turn to 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5. This is going to probably be the last sermon in this particular series. When the apostle is writing, he's writing after having preached and, and, and taught and expanded the Christian outreach in the Parthian Empire. That was Rome's big competitor of the day. So he's in the city of Babylon. And he's meeting with a bunch of the synagogues that are still in that city and in that region. And he's, he's spreading the gospel of Christ first to the Jew and then to the, the Gentile. So he started on this profound ministry of bringing not only Christ to those who understand the God of Israel, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but also those who have no concept of a single singular God. And he is meeting with profound resistance. The church at this time is growing at rapid fire pace. The one thing that we offer is the ability to reflect that purity of love that only God can provide. It only comes from one source. It can only be found, therefore, in one people, and that's the church. So even one of the, the emperors in Rome who is a, a fierce persecution, uh, persecutor of the Christians... He writes to us from ages past that I cannot condemn them to total death because they bury the dead, they feed the hungry, they care for the sick, they're doing more for my people than I can. And they're adding daily to their agape love. Even the pagans, those that are fiercely against the spread of Christianity, recognize that there's a difference in this strange, peculiar people called Christian. The difference taught to us by Christ. So Peter is, is in a situation where he is having to instruct the church of Christ abroad on how not to avoid suffering, on how not to deny suffering, but how in fact to suffer well, how to hold on to the very things that God has given us to give us strength through hard times, how to hold on to the truth of His Word in spite of overwhelming persecution, how to hold on to the victory that Christ purchased for us at the cost of His own blood. He's not telling us that trouble sometimes will never happen. He's telling us that as Christians we're guaranteed that they will happen, and not only that they will happen, but that God has secured a victory for us through those times. So the book of 1 Peter is all about not to avoid suffer, but how to suffer well. How to claim the victory of God through that, and how to glorify God through that. Because as he writes to us, count yourself blessed if you're persecuted, because Christ was persecuted. And just as God glorified the Son, will He also glorify those that come after the Son. Amen? So let's claim these promises together. And let's continue to go into his scripture where he's now, for those of us who are in a leadership position in the church, hold on tight and fasten your seatbelts because this is us. 
If you are in any kind of ministerial position, if you are one of those elected leaders, if you are a Sunday school teacher, if you are a pastor, if you are someone who feels the call to be a pastor, if you're a music minister in any way, shape, or form, if you're somebody who has been put in a position of mentorship in front of other Christians, you're being addressed in this scripture. And so for those of you who are mentees, who are early disciples in Christ, I know for the majority of us we have in this particular gathering, and I know from personal attestation that we, we have mostly mature Christians here that have been exposed to the gospel message for quite a number of years. But for those of you coming up in the ranks, pay attention as well, because this is His instruction to what you will do as a maturing disciple. One of the things that we need to understand is that you never get out of learning when it comes to Christian mentorship. We are always a disciple. Some of us are more mature in the faith as we've continued to go on. Some of us are younger in the faith. And some of us have been stuck in kindergarten for a good 60 years. Being in church for a number of years does not guarantee that you mature. The fact that you invest yourself in the opportunities to learn and to put what you learn to the test, that matures us. So let's read together. 1 Peter chapter 5, when you get there, say amen. Starting with verse 1. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and as a witness of Christ's sufferings, who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them. Underline this in your copy of God's Word. Not because you must. Not because it's in the job description. Not because somehow you're getting something out of it. Not because you're even expecting an attestation of thanks. Not because you must, but because you are what? Willing. God loves a what kind of giver? Cheerful giver. God appreciates those who are working out of love, who are reflecting the love that He's given us. Not working to be saved, but because you what? are saved, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those who have been entrusted to you. In other words, not wanting to hoard up power for yourself, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. May God add His blessing to the reading of His Word this morning. Now, what we're talking about here is significantly different than what the world tries to teach. What is leadership in a Christian context? What is Jesus' definition, if you will, of leadership? Now, the world teaches us that if you want to be a leader, you have to hoard up power for yourself, that you have to lord it over other people, that you have to twist their arm to get them to do your will, that that's a good leader. Someone who exercises power, someone who, whose authority is based on either their paycheck, on their job title, on their education, or on their contracts. Jesus lays down a different definition. And let's take a look right now at what Christian leadership is not. Let's contrast the two. Christian leadership is not a cult of personality. 
In other words, if you're at a church because someone is just a wonderful speaker and you're drawn to their magnetic personality and they could care less about who you are as a person, but instead they want the numbers, they want the paycheck, they want the the offering plate to be full. If that's all they're cared about, run away. It is not about being in the spotlight. In fact, be wary of those who crave the spotlight. Christian leadership is not a cult of personality. And it's also not a struggle for power over others. Not lording it over them. Some are in the habit of doing. It's not about power. It's not a quest for financial gain. It's not a pattern of devaluing others. It's not reducing the people in your congregation to either a number or a job title or a job description. It's not taking someone and recognizing them as an object that serves a function rather than a being of eternal significance and divine worth made in the image of God. It's not a master-servant relationship, certainly, because as Jesus himself said, I come not to be served, but what? But to serve. Christian leadership is about service in action. Write that down. Christian leadership is about service in action. As as Peter put it, it's about being the example to others, about reflecting Christ's life so that they will reflect Him as well. Putting Jesus on display before others in the way we live our lives through our conduct, our conversation, and our character. It's not about a reliance on human wisdom. If you, if you ever hear the phrase, we're doing it because the common wisdom is, or the given wisdom is, run away from it because chances are good that if it's worldly wisdom, it's not what? It's not godly wisdom. And it's certainly not about a desire to satisfy earthly desires. It's not about the things that cause us to worship the self. The foundation of all sin, the underlying condition of the heart that is the root of all sin is pride. The worship of the self. Making yourself into an idol. Putting yourself on the throne of your heart where Christ is called to be. And that's a trapping of the old clothes of the old self that we try to keep putting on in the new self. That's the bane of our existence, if you will. That's the chief landmine that the enemy uses to try to get the the Christian to act like the non-Christian. A focus on the self. Peter echoes, excuse me, Paul echoes what Peter is preaching in 2 Timothy chapter 4, where he writes to us, preach the word. He's telling his son in the faith to do the following, and this is what defines Christian leadership. Preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season. So no matter life circumstances, whether you're rich, whether you're poor, whether you're sick, whether you're healthy, whether you're under condemnation by the world around you, or whether you're in a time where everything seems peaceable, whatever the case may be, harbor in your heart the word of God and be always ready to display it before others. Preach in and out of season, correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and very careful instruction. For the time will come, go ahead, in fact, and write this down in the flyleaf of your Bible or in your, in your sermon notes or in your copy of God's Word. The time will come, and I believe that it's already here, when people will not put up with sound doctrine, but instead... To suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. Name it and claim it. Avoid those at all costs. Because nowhere in God's Scripture does it ever say that by believing in Christ you're going to get rich. 
In fact, it promises you. This is the weird thing about the Christian religion. It doesn't promise us financial gain. It doesn't promise us power. It doesn't promise us anything but suffering, condemnation in the eyes of your friends, the brutality of this world, being constantly irritated by the enemy. It, it promises us pain. And yet, it also promises us eternal victory. Two billion with a B people on the face of the planet right now identify as Christian. It's not because of the slogans. It's not because of what we can get out of it. But it's all because of the one who loves us and calls us to love others just as he does. They will turn their ears away from the truth and they will turn aside to myths. But you, as the minister of grace, Keep your, heads in, keep your head in all situations. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Discharge all the duties of your ministry. So what Christian leadership is, in a, in a nutshell, it's characterized by the following. It's a visible submission under Christ. Jesus is to be both our Savior and our Lord. In order to be saved... You have to repent. Not only do you claim the free pardon of sin, but the first thing that you have to do is declare before a holy God in the presence of the church that you yourself are a sinner. But you do that under the promise that whosoever calleth upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Think about that for a second. The church is the only institution that I'm aware of where the, the first rule of becoming a member is you have to admit publicly that you don't have the right to be there in the first place. I'm not good enough to be here. None of us are, but by the grace of God. Aren't you thankful for that? It's a vis visible submission under Christ in our conduct, in our conversation, in our character. He is not only our Savior, He is also supremely our Lord which is why the study of God's Word is so important. It's a consistent display of Christ and His love, His generosity, His compassion, His teaching. The fact that while, yes, He does forgive sin, He also challenges the sinner by tagging on the phrase, now go and sin no more. It's a leadership not by power and not by decree, but leadership by service, and by example, servant leadership. Servant leadership. That's the defining characteristic of what it means to be a leader in the house of God. It's more of a teacher-student relationship. Those of you who have been in the ministry for a long period of time, or those of you who have been in the church ministering in some capacity here for a long period of time, it's your responsibility not only to take up that mantle and to take up that knowledge, that skill set, that wisdom that goes along with it, but also to pass it on. To seek those out who seem to have a similar gift, actively teaching them, put, taking them under your wing, making them your disciple just as Christ called His disciples. This is very much a discipling community. It's also about equipping and empowering others. Now the world tells you that you are to gain power for yourself and that you're to hoard it away. But in Jesus' model, the way that Jesus treated His disciples, He didn't just hoard up the knowledge and harbor it only to self. And He didn't certainly ask His students to pay Him for the privilege. What He did was He gathered power that was granted to Him by God so that He could then give it away 
two years into his his discipleship of the apostles, he sends them out, as he puts it, as, as lambs among the wolves. And he sends them out to declare the gospel. He sends them out to preach. He doesn't hoard it all for himself. He empowers those who are his students. He equips them by teaching them, by demonstrating for them, and by serving them. And he sends them out into the world to be the same person to others, to reflect him and his relationship. The church is a community of disciples of Christ. We are not masters. We will never be masters. We serve under a master teacher, but we are always the student. And we learn by doing. We engage in cooperative ministry, which means the church, there should be no divisions among you. That's the Word of God. In fact, they identify that the backbiting, gossiping, you know, it's funny how much we rail against homosexuality, but we don't rail against gossiping ordinarily. We don't talk about the meddling sins like lying about people behind their backs or by exhorting others to Christian ministry by reconciliation. There should be no dissension within the body of Christ. Paul himself defines that as as something that characterizes someone who thinks they're saved, someone who claims church membership as their salvation, but not necessarily having claimed Christ himself. It inspires an ever-deepening agape love by the fact that you love others. I'm so glad that Hylon is kind of a huggy church now. Some churches that I've been to in ages past. It was a hearty handshake and they'd forget your name and walk out the door. Or it was a, hi, how are you doing? Don't wait for an answer, just keep going. But if you love others, if you demonstrate that love to others, you will inspire them to love in the same light. If you have that self-sacrificing agape love that Christ inspires within us because that's the love that He has for us, and if you put that kind of love on display, it will engender that kind of love from other people around you. And above all, whether it's hard sayings of the Bible or the more easy teachings of the Bible, Christian leadership instructs in godly righteousness because God has expectations of us. While salvation is free to all who would receive, it again requires repentance. And repentance, the easy way to define repentance is turning away from a focus on the self as the greatest good in your life. Turning away from the self and turning to the worship, the adoration, the praise, and the submission of Christ. Repentance is a $40 way of saying change direction. And before we can truly claim Christ from the beginning stage, and especially in the more advanced stage of discipleship, before we can claim Christ, He not only can be Savior, He must also be Lord. Peter continues in in chapter 5, excuse me, verse 5. In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. And we're not talking about the age here. We're talking about maturity. All of you, clothe clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. Because, and quoting from the Psalms, he writes, God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. So humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. This is what Christian mentorship should be. The showcasing, the displaying, the putting on for others the ministry of Christ. Mentoring in agape love. Paul puts it this way, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Since as members of one body you were called to peace and be thankful. 
No matter what the circumstances are in our lives, we're called to exhibit peace. When the world is falling around you, when the bills are stacking higher than your bank account, when you see so many displays of spiritual ignorance in the world that you want to ask, what in the world, what church did you go to? When the things of God are being openly mocked, when the church of God is being openly condemned, where things are being so antagonistic that you even see churches lying about other churches, no matter what the situation is, whether it's personal, whether it's spiritual, whether it's financial, whether it's professional, no matter what the circumstance in your life, the hallmark of a mature Christian is this, they live under the peace of God. Let the peace of Christ let the peace of God reign in your hearts, no matter life's circumstance. Put it like this, God has purchased a victory for you that will never crumble, that will never fade, that is always sure. Do we believe it or not? If you live in a constant state of fear, folks, fear is a mild form of atheism. Fear is me not believing that God is who He says He is, not believing that God will do what He claims He will do, not believing in His power, not believing in His might, not believing in His integrity. But Paul tells us something quite different. No matter your circumstances, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Since as members of the one body you are called to peace and be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Not just what sounds good, but what is good. Not just what's on the Caleb Top 40 for that week, but what is spiritually relevant, scripturally valid singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, no matter if you're a carpenter, no matter if you're a plumber, no matter if you're a teacher, no matter if you're a lawyer, no matter what you may happen to do in your tent-making careers, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. This is how we mentor, by putting Christ on display in front of others. And as the church, it's vital that we do that by living in community together. As iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. We are called to live in community together as the church. Now we read in, in the book of Acts where the church gathered daily. They broke bread daily. They were in each other's homes daily. They weren't just a telephone call away. They were right there with each other. It's hard to do that these days. One of the things that, that my neighborhood visitation has, has, has taught me is that people don't know the names of the person who's living next door anymore. They don't know the person across the street. But in Christ, we are called to live in community together. We're called to divide each other's burdens together. We're called to multiply each other's joys together. In the body of Christ, there is hope. In the body of Christ, there is comfort. In the body of Christ, there is instruction. In the body of Christ, there is His love. So let it always be. The writer of Hebrews even tells us to not forsake the gathering of yourselves together as some are in the habit of doing, but do it all the more so. Gather all the more so. Be in the house of God all the more so as you see the day of the Lord approaching. With each passing second, guess what? That day is getting closer. So according to the Bible, are we commanded to meet more often or less? More! 
The church should live in community together. That's how it was established. That's how it grew. That's how it prospered. That is our mandate in the black and white of Scripture. So we live in community together. We worship together in thanksgiving and praise. We instruct one another with all gentleness, respect, and love. We serve one another as family. We just don't call each other brother such and such or sister so and so out of an old quaint tradition. It's because we should have a same familial regard for each other, a same love for each other as we do for our own kin, if not more so, because we're now bound together, forged as a family under the blood of Christ. We are to discover each other's spiritual gifts. And let me tell you this about a spiritual gifts inventory. That's a conversation starter. That is not the gospel truth. In other words, if you do a spiritual gifts inventory, it's something for you to share with your pastor and with your fellow Christians. Because when you hand those things out, an awful lot of people develop the gift of leadership all of a sudden. And there's an awful lot of people that suddenly have the gift of administration. But when you live in community like this together, when you serve with each other, whether it be in the kitchen, in the fellowship hall, up here, pay attention to each other's gifts. For those of you who are elders in the faith, Pay attention to each other's gifts. And when you see somebody rising up who's good at hospitality, who is good at being a leader, who is good at public speaking, when you see somebody who God has gifted, take them under your wing and help them to find a place in ministry where they can put those spiritual gifts into practice. Not only to discover what we are and who we are under Christ, but to put it to use for the kingdom. And Peter also reminds us of this, kind of in tandem of what Paul was saying with peace. In verse 7, cast all of your anxiety on Him. Cast your burdens on Him because what? He cares for you. The Holy Spirit writes the Word of God in puns. He does that to prove a point, not necessarily to be funny. This is a play on words. In the King James, it was cast your burdens upon Jesus because, cast your cares upon Jesus because He cares for you. It's not our place to be anxious. Be anxious for nothing. But in all things, with prayer and supplication, let us go boldly before the throne of grace that we may make our petitions known, that we may receive mercy in our hour of need. He takes our burdens. You might not get rich as a Christian, or you might be blessed with plenty. That's His call. But one of the things that we are all assured of is that He holds us that He holds our tomorrow, that He has won our victory, and that He will see it through. Be alert and of a sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. But resist him and stand firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of all grace, who called you to His eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, this is the promise of God. Underline this in your copy of God's Word. Starting with the words, well, starting with the whole verse. God of all grace, who called you into eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered for a little while, will Himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. But to Him be the power forever and ever. And all God's people said, Amen. No matter what happens to us, no matter what challenge the enemy brings to bear, no matter what vain imaginings this world is chucking at us, 
You are never alone. Take heed from these messages as we continue on. Live in the peace of mind that passes all understanding. Live in full assurance of the victory that has been purchased for you that God will lead you to. And understand that no matter what may come, the God who we serve will never leave our side. And all God's people said. And Heavenly Father, as we transition now from the service of the Word to our time of invitation, we thank you for the hope that you've granted us. We thank you for the peace of God which enables us to continue moving forward. Lord, we ask that you would allow our eyes always to be focused on you, the author and perfecter of our faith. We ask that no matter what problem that the enemy seeks to put in front of our path, that we see not the problem, but we see you who are the solution. Lord, we thank you for the certainty that it is to be a child of God in the kingdom of heaven, which is so near. We ask that if there are any burdens upon the hearts of those in front of us, if there are any who have yet to come to know that free pardon of sin, if there are any who are struggling uh, with a conviction that they are not doing everything that they could for you, if there are those who are looking for a church family, a new home where they can be loved, adored, and cherished, if there are those who are just labored under the weight of this world, whatever the case may be, Lord, bring them now so that they may feel the warmth of your embrace, the certainty of your love, the power of your goodness, the wonderful gift of salvation, and the joy that abides forever. For these blessings, we come to you now through the matchless name of Christ. Amen. Thank you for joining us at High Lawn Baptist Church. We pray that you were blessed by today's message. At High Lawn, we believe that when you love God, you share His Word. When you love others, you spread the gospel. We would love for you to join us next time, and if possible, to join us in person. To contact or learn more about us, to donate to our ongoing ministry, or most importantly, to learn about the salvation offered to you through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, visit us at highlawnbaptistchurch.org. Once again, thank you, and God bless you.